unto thee, O Lord. Do I lift up my to our morning service here at the Boonville Church of Christ. Thank you for being here and we also want to welcome all of those that will be tuning in on YouTube or on the internet. Thank you for making this part of your morning activities. Uh, this morning we want to 
have a special welcome for Jim and Mary Canfield from Rogers, Arkansas. They work with the Biblical Institute of Central America in the country of Honduras. They'll be meeting with our mission committee uh, this afternoon. So we want to welcome them. This is one of the works that the church here supports on a regular basis. We also want to remember the uh, group of ladies, there are about 24 of them that are traveling today back uh, from the uh, seminar in Gatlinburg, so please remember them as you pray today. We also are glad to have Brother Ken and JT back in the country uh, after a couple weeks in Guyana. We come together this morning to worship the Lord, and as we begin our time together, let's uh, go to God in prayer. Our Father, thank you for all of the many things that you do for us. We're so thankful that you watch out after us, and we pray that you'll continue to do that. Father, we pray for the congregation here, that as we strive to be Christians in the world around us, that we can shine the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world around us and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Be with us as we worship today. May it be acceptable in your sight. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. First song is going to be number 296. We have come into his house. Let's sing together. We have come into his house and Oh, you are. 
Would you pray with me, please? Father, as we come together today to worship you and sing these songs of great uh, songs of encouragement, Father, we pray that you be with us and clear our minds of all earthly things, that we may take in what Ken has to say in view of eternity. Father, we ask, also ask that you be with the ones that, that our congregation and others that are sick. Be with them and be with the ones attending their needs. And if it's keeping with your word, Lord, we hope we would pray that they would return that portion of health they so desire. Father, we ask you to be with our military. Be with them as they protect us and you protect them. Father, we also ask you to be with the people that are traveling today. Help, help them to have a safe return to us. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins. And Father, we pray that you will forgive us of those sins. And if it's keeping with our word, Father, give us a home with thee in heaven. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Song of invitation this morning will be Just As I Am. I Come Broken, uh, Just As I Am is number 924 in your book, uh, but uh, I Come Broken will be on the screen only. Uh, song before our lesson, before Brother Kim comes up, will be Living Hope. Let's stand as we sing this together. Let's sing out to our Lord.
Scripture reading comes from Joshua, 7th chapter, the 10th verse. So the Lord said to Joshua, Get up, why do you lie thus on your face? Good morning, everyone. I'm pretty sure that I speak for JT when I say how wonderful it is to be back in Boonville, Mississippi. Well, for one reason, because when I say that, people know what I'm talking about. There in South America, they, they don't know. They've heard of the Mississippi River, but it's not like their river. But wow, it's great to be home. And thank you so much for all of you who have spent time praying for us on our endeavor to go and share the gospel with a village of people that live in a far off, removed, remote place like Marakabai. Actually, the church had been established there over 20 years ago. And the preacher for that church is actually the chief of that village. So you would think the church ought to thrive with a chief or a Tushau there and so many members of the church, but it is true there as it is anywhere that people become lax or for one reason or another, they fall away from their first love and they need restoration. And so whether it was the matter of trying to reclaim souls or to teach the gospel for the very first time, I will tell you that very literally JT and I, and, and we were a team together, just as we were so many years ago. But JT and I worked on that project from the time that the sun rose until it set, and we could barely drag ourselves into the bed to get a short night's sleep and begin it all over again. Someone said to me, wow, that was a relatively short trip. Don't you wish you could have stayed longer? And Again, I think I, speak, I think I speak for JT in saying, no, thank you. <laughs> in fact, after like the second day that we were there, JT looked at me and he said, how long have we been here? And I said, a month. <laughs> but it is precious to be home. And you know, the thrill of coming home is to be there with your spouse. And mine's gone on a trip. I don't know what that's supposed to tell me, but I'm still waiting. <laughs> But thrilled to be here. And listen, we've got so many things going on in the next few weeks. I'm anxious to share with you what happened on that trip. But we are book solid for several weeks. I'm thinking maybe the first Sunday in November or so, maybe after the Bible class that takes place in the auditorium. That's at five o'clock. So probably six on the first Sunday in November I'm going to plan, that's tentative right now, but plan to give you a report. And, you know, if you're interested in hearing what the Lord's doing in places, you'll stay for that little extra bit of time. But today, you and I have a task, and that is we're going to worship God through meditation upon His Word. That's a challenging thing. But I believe that that effort is well worth the time that we will be spending in it. And today, 
We're going to use this text from the book of Joshua in order to examine ourselves. The general topic for today will just, it'll be about sin, but in particular about what sin does to us and then what ought to be our response. Let's pray that God will bless us in our study today and two things as always, help me and help you. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for the precious privilege to be assembled here together on the first day of the week to worship you in spirit and in truth. And now we pray, Father, that you will bless us as we enter into this period of worship, which is a challenge for us mentally. Help us to be able to focus upon your word today and its examination I pray that your word will be alive in us and produce fruit. I pray, Father, that you will help me as the presenter of your word, that I will be sufficiently out of the way of it, and that I can proclaim your truth as it is revealed in your scriptures so that it can have its greatest effect on the hearts of these hearers today. Just help me to accomplish that. And dear Lord, I pray for those who hear these words that they will find the appropriate place in their hearts, whether it's encouragement or whether it is rebuke. If it's encouragement, Father, I pray it will spur us on to greater heights. And if it is a rebuke, I pray, Father, that we will respond with a good and honest heart, knowing that You only want the very best for us. But Lord, give us the courage to do what you want us to do. Thank you for the privilege to serve and thank you for the privilege of all those who sit here have the freedom to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to guess that in an audience this size, There's some folks sitting in these pews who, for lack of a better way of describing it, feel defeated in some way. Maybe you've been trying hard to accomplish something and you've had a setback and you feel defeated. Or more to the point for today, it is that you have been wrestling with sin, doing things you you know now, or maybe you've known for some time, we're not right. They were against the will of God, but you, you pursued those things anyway. And today, as you sit in this audience with, with the desire to focus on the Word of God, actually the only thing that you can see is your sin staring you in your face, and you feel defeated Some people, when they feel defeated, they mope about, they pout, they have a lot of self-pity, they feel terrible about the condition that they are in, but they take no action to remedy the situation. This text is interesting because it's coming in a situation that I'm sure Joshua never saw himself being in. 
Joshua now feels defeated and all he knows to do is to fall on his face. And the fact is Joshua could have remained on his face for eternity, but until he took action to remedy Israel's problem, sin that was within the camp, until he took action to do something about it, nothing was ever going to change and Israel was not ever going to have success again. So let me take you back. I will assure you that his feeling of defeat wasn't because he had sided himself with God and God had let him down. That was not the case at all. In fact, God had demonstrated tremendous power and care over his people when after he had delivered them out of Egyptian bondage and provided for them in the wilderness for 40 years, now they have entered into the promised land. They have crossed over the Jordan River on dry ground and they face the greatest threat they would ever face. And that is the walled city of Jericho. And they face that city, not with swords and bows and arrows and implements of war, but with faith in God. God told them, that if they would march around that city once a day for six days, and then on the seventh day to march around that city seven times, then the priests would blow the trumpets, the people shout, would shout with a great shout, and God said, when that happens, the wall will fall down flat. And so, Joshua chapter 6 and verse 20. So the people shouted when the priests blew with the trumpet. And it came to pass that when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat and then they went up into the city. That was a tremendous victory. I'm sure that the people were so confident in God now that they were barely touching the ground every two or three steps. You know what I mean? Just so triumphant. God is with us. Nothing in this land will ever be able to stand up against us. And with this great confidence, now they face a second city, Ai, much smaller, hardly even protected. This is going to be such a win for Israel. We don't even need the entire army. Just send a compliment of men. God is with us. We'll have victory. But they were sent running back. They were defeated. And Joshua now finds himself on his face, grieving before God, filled with pity for himself and his nation, moping and pouting about. And God says, get up. Why are you lying thus on your face? Well, it's because we've had this defeat. They had had that defeat because of sin. And until Joshua got up off of that ground and dealt with the sin, nothing would ever change. It was discovered that the sin lie in the hands of one man by the name of Achan. You see, God had told Israel not to touch anything in that city. Everything that was to be gathered was essentially first fruits to the Lord. Subsequently, they would be able to take provisions for themselves. But this was the first capture, the first annihilation of God's enemies. And God was going to have 100% of all that remained. But Achan was selfish. 
Achan stumbled upon a Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver, and one bar weighing 50 shekels, a bar of gold. He took those things and he hid them in his tent. I suppose he thought this one little action will just be passed over and we'll go on to victory. How important is my sin compared to everybody else? But it was the defining sin. And because of that sin, Israel's progress stopped and many men died as a result of his selfishness. Joshua, you must deal with the sin. Ultimately, Achan lost his life, lost all that he possessed, even his family. Get up. So, why do you feel defeated today? If you feel defeated in this room today because of sin, you need to know this, that you can feel defeated for eternity, but until you do something about that sin, until you get up off of your face and deal with your sin, nothing is ever going to change and you will never be able to move forward. So I want to start in the simplest place that I can, and I want us to define some things. Exactly, exactly what is sin? What is it that keeps us down on our face so much? In the Old Testament, sin was defined basically as missing the mark or a failure. And I'm going to use what may seem like a strange text in order to describe it. It comes from the book of Judges, chapter 20 and verse 16. And that text is described some Benjamites, actually 700 of them, who are unique in a couple of different ways. One is they're all left-handed. And the other is that they are so proficient with a sling and a stone that they are able to sling that stone within a hair's breadth of the target that they intend. They can hit the target. But I want to suggest to you that the word that's being used to describe hitting that target is in fact, in its negative component, the idea of sin. And that is missing the mark. Sin is when we fail to do what God has commanded us to do. He has given us a target to hit. And when we, when we in effect, sling our stone and we miss the target, when we take action and we don't do quite what God taught us or commanded us to do, then we have sinned, we have transgressed, we have, well, we've missed the mark. In the New Testament, there are several ways that the Scriptures describe sin. One is pretty obvious, and it's very much like what you find in the Old Testament. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, that text says, For all have sinned and, and then here it is, fall short of the glory of God. There was an expectation of man from the very beginning to have dominion over all the earth, to share, in effect, in the glory of God. And being apart from sin, that would have been a slam dunk for humanity. But now sin has occurred and he has fallen from the glory of God. He has missed the mark. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4, we find out that sin is lawlessness. That makes sense, right? Because the law is God's expression of his truth, what he is expecting of us. And so when we fail to do what he expects of us, we have failed to keep his 
law, or we are lawless in that. He says, sin is lawlessness. We ought to be clear, has, God has an expectation of us. When we miss the expectation, when we fail, when we miss the target, we have sinned against God. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 9, it says that those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Yuck! But what he's describing there for us is a case where we were fine. And then because of the introduction of some temptation, in this case, the result of a love of money, we fall from where we were. The idea of falling. Get that? The, the sense of missing where we should have been. Missing the mark. Failing. That's what sin is all about. I'm just not meeting God's expectation. I'm not following His will, His command. We commit sin in a couple of different ways. Sometimes we do it actively. And that keys with that text we saw a moment ago about lawlessness. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 begins by telling us that those who commit sin also commit lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. To commit a sin is to go headlong in it. I have determined this is my course of action. I am not unaware, so to speak, in my committing the sin. I, I do this because I choose to do it. That's an active commission of sin. But there's also a passive action. That's described in James chapter 4 and verse 17. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. That's just simply withholding an action. I know what I should do. I'm just not going to do it. So whether I intentionally act and I commit a sin, a transgression of God's will, or I know what the target is, but I just choose not to even try to hit the target, either way, I am in violation of the command of God. I have chosen of my own volition to do what is wrong. That, in a nutshell, is sin. So I'm, I'm wondering, as maybe you are, so you know, what's, what's the big deal? You know, how bad could it be? Actually, it, it's bad. It's very bad. I mean the results of it, the consequences of sin. John chapter 6 verse 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. Th that's eternal separation from God. The payment for the sin that I commit, the transgression of God's will, either active or passive, he says, the result of that, the payment for it is death, spiritual death. In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 17, this I say therefore in testifying the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because the ignorance that is in them, because the blindness of their hearts, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Again, I would say, yuck. Right there is the description of somebody who, for, for lack of a better way of describing it, has just lost, they've lost their mind. I mean, here's a person who has been in fellowship with God and enjoyed all of the benefits and the privileges, the blessings that are ours as children of God, and he has decided to sin. He has lost his mind. 
He has become blind, the scripture says. And what's interesting about that is that to become a child of God, we became enlightened. That is, we went from a position of darkness into light. But now he says you're slipping back into that. And it is like you have lost your sight. You have lost your mind. Yeah, it's bad. And sin will cause certain things to happen in our lives. Sin does some terrible things to us. And if you're feeling defeated because of sin today, you're probably experiencing some of these things right now. You're in the grip of that. Sin is something that will separate. And what I mean by separation is actually on several different levels. I think about Joshua and Israel unbeknownst to most of them, save one person, they thought they had done the right thing and all of a sudden they're defeated and they don't know where to turn. They had been separated, unknown to themselves. They've been separated from their God and God wasn't going to give them success until they've been reunited. Oh man. And then there's Achan. You know, Achan ultimately is separated because of his sin certainly from the nation and from God, from his family, from all the things that he possessed that were meaningful to him. And sin, sin will separate us from the people that mean the most to us in our relationships. Our friends, our families. We can probably think back to a time when things were, seemed like they were perfect. Do you ever do what I do? When days are just going splendidly, when it seems like everything is just working right, I just make a mental note. Today was one of the best days of my life. Make some benchmarks along the way. Because when you experience the consequences of sin, your mind, your mind can gravitate to those moments when things were perfect, when things were great. When you see that vision, though, do you see that because of sin, there are some faces in that memory that no longer are here? I can understand why you feel defeated. Sin will separate us from God. Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2, The Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is ear heavy that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Why didn't God just raise me up out of this pit of despair? Well, if it's because of sin, he can't do that. It's not that he doesn't have arms long enough or that he can't see you or hear you, but it's because sin yet remains. God would say to us in our pitiful situation, the pit of despair, get up, get up off your face. What are you doing? And so was the case with Joshua. Get up out of that mire. Sin causes great separation. Sin causes us to become enslaved. Have you ever heard a person say, yeah, this is a terrible habit and I wish I could change it and I will change it. But they never do. They say, today I am convicted. Today is the day I will change but tomorrow's the same as the day before. They want to change. I'm sure that's true. But they don't change. Not permanently. And why is that? Because they have become a slave 
to sin. Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse 34 that whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. In Romans chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. That's a hopeful text, but don't miss the reason that it was written. You can be free, but know that in your sin you are not free. You are still a slave of it. As long as you remain down there on your face, just kind of wallowing in the mire of your sin, you're still enslaved to that sin. Sin also scars us. And that has to do with our memory. The past where we committed sin can have a terrible pressure on us even in the present. I think of, I think of Peter. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 34, Jesus tells Peter that he's going to deny him three times before the, croc, the, the cock or the rooster crows. And he is like, you, what? You, you are crazy. There's no way. I would die before I would deny you. And yet, just a few verses later, well, actually about 40 verses in verses 74 and 75, it is the moment that it happened. He denies Jesus with cursing. I do not know that man. It was the third time. And immediately, the rooster crowed. Now, I, I know all about the redemption of Peter, how that eventually, you know, the Lord gets uh, on the seashore. He's cooking the fish. Peter jumps out of the boat, comes to the Lord. The Lord challenges him with three questions related to his love. And, oh, it's just a beautiful moment. And there was Peter on the day of Pentecost proclaiming the gospel to save mankind. Oh, and he also took the gospel to Cornelius. And Peter was just a force to be reckoned with in saving souls for Jesus. But if he's anything like I am, I'm pretty sure that every time he heard a rooster crow, even though he's forgiven, even though that's in the past, I can't help but remind you of that moment. You know what I'm saying? That moment, that moment of defeat, maybe you feel right now. I think of David, who was caught in his sin and Thankfully, he, he repents of that. He owns up to it, but he had to be caught in it. In Psalm 51 and verse 3, he says, I acknowledge my transgression. My sin is always before me against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. It's like I could keep this thing hidden from everybody, but you know and I know. And every single day, every moment, that sin is just right there in front of me as I'm looking to new heights. It's just the image of that sin keeps coming up. Oh, Lord, help me. Do you ever pray that kind of prayer with David? God doesn't want us just lying on our face. He wants us to just get up and do something about it because sin is serious. It will scar us for life. Sin will test us too. It did that to Eve in the garden. Eve is told along with Adam, Adam previously, but Eve is also compliant in the knowledge that God says, you know, in the day that you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in that day that you eat it, you'll surely die. 
and, and they were convinced that that was their that was their their modicum for life. We can do anything we want, just don't eat that fruit. But the day finally came when she looked upon that fruit in a different way. Now empowered with the lie of Satan, she is intrigued by that fruit. And she sees that it is good for food. It is pleasant to the eyes and it is desirable to make one wise. Ultimately, she took that fruit, she ate it, she gave it to her husband, he ate it, and sin enters into the world. They succumbed to sin. Jesus was tested too, you know, by sin. In Matthew chapter 4, sometimes we can't wrap our mind around that very much because we think of Jesus as he's described in Hebrews 4.15, for instance. That he was tempted in every point as we are yet without sin. And really this examination that he goes through, this testing, is the very essence of all that we deal with. Jesus is hungry, parched from 40 days and 40 nights without sustenance. And yet Satan says, well, then go ahead and turn this bread or or this stone into bread. Jesus refuses that temptation with Scripture. Satan takes Jesus on the pinnacle of the temple and encourages him to throw himself off. God will save you. But he does not succumb to that that desire for show and and acknowledgement. And finally, Satan really knocking on the door of Jesus' greatest desire. Remember, he came to set up his own kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. Oh boy, here's an opportunity Satan thinks I can get him now. He takes him up on the highest mount to see all the kingdoms of the earth. If you only fall down and worship me, I'll give you all this now. Now Jesus did not succumb to those temptations. But what I want to suggest to you is while Jesus did not succumb, we very easily can succumb to every one of those. Maybe there's some form of that every day that we succumb to. And I have to ask myself, why do I think that I'm impervious to the very things that brought down Eve from the beginning and Satan thought, at least for a moment, he could undo the very Son of God? Why do I think that I'm impervious to the works of Satan and temptation and ultimately sin? We are warned, you know, In 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Please don't miss this, that if I'm connecting myself with the world, then I'm going to perish with the world. I need to submit myself to the direction that God gives because sin is serious. So then, okay, I know what sin is and I know it's bad. But how do people deal with their sin? Some people, in fact, I'm going to say most people, do exactly what Joshua did here. They just fall down on their face. Feel terrible about it, feel guilty, try to hide it, but stay on their face. They don't ever do anything about it. They just stay in their sin, just feeling bad and hoping that it'll go away. But it will not go away until we take action to deal with that sin. So what do we do? In this case, God said, Joshua, get up. You know, do something. In our case, if, if, for instance, if I'm a child of God already, 
If I'm a child of God and I am feeling guilty today, feeling defeated in my sin, then I need to get up and I need to do something about that sin. In 1 John chapter 1, beginning verse 7, it says that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from our sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There you have it. Are you a child of God and you've committed sin? Then don't just lie around in your sin and pretend that it didn't happen. Don't try to cover it up and hope that nobody notices because that sin isn't going anywhere. What you need to do is get up and do something about that sin. In this case, you need to repent of it and confess it. But more than that, you need to take proactive measures and commit yourself that that's not going to happen again. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to grow in my faith. Second Peter chapter one, beginning at verse five, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith, virtue, to virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you'll neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you'll never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Is that what we want? I want to go to heaven, don't you? If I want to go to heaven, then I'm not going to be stagnant in my faith and I'm not going to lie around wallowing in my sin, hoping that no one ever discovers or finds it out. I'm going to be proactive. I'm going to repent and I'm going to build on my faith, knowing that one day with great confidence, I will be able to go into heaven. It is assured of those who are faithful in adding these things. But maybe you're not a child of God. What is there for me? I've committed sin. I've done things I feel terrible about. I feel the guilt of sin and I've never been released from that guilt. Woe is me. What will happen? You know that God is powerful. God can save you from your sin. And God has vested the power that he has in the salvation of man in a thing called the gospel. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and following, Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The gospel, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's back up for a moment. Because I want to know what it is that I need to do in order to get rid of this sin, to rise up and be productive. How can I deal with that? Well, the book of John chapter 6 and verse 45 tells us that they shall all be taught by God. That's what the prophets said. And here was the conclusion of that, that they will hear and they will learn. What you hear and what you learn from the Father will take you to Jesus. That's the process. I've got to hear the Word of God. 
In Romans chapter 10, beginning at verse 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has obeyed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I hear the word of God. Now what? I need to repent of my sins. I've learned what God wants me to do. And I need to repent of the things that I've done wrong where I've missed the mark. Luke chapter 13 verse 3 and also verse 5 says that unless you repent, you will perish. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 30, that scripture says that the times of this ignorance God overlooked. But now in this time commands all men everywhere to repent. We must repent. That is, we turn away from our sin motivated by a godless sorrow. I've done something God commanded me not to do. And now turning to the Lord's way, I make my commitment now not just to acknowledge it, but to walk in it. That's repentance. I need to confess Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you should be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Interestingly enough, all of these things are pointing to salvation. I remember that text that the gospel is for those who believe. And all of these components that we've been talking about are various aspects of what belief will do for us. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And the question then is, so what? Well, based on that belief, I'm going to get up off of my face, get out of my sin, so that I can obey the Lord and have those sins washed away. What are you talking about? Well, the very last thing that Jesus told His apostles to do found in Matthew chapter 28, beginning at verse 18. He said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Obey the gospel. Be baptized. Have your sins washed away. Romans 6, 3 and 4. Death, burial, and resurrection. That happens right there in baptism. We are buried with him in baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We leave the old man behind and we begin our new course with the Lord. Hitting the mark. In Mark chapter 16 and verse 16, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. That's the whole gospel message right there. And then of course, Acts chapter 2 Verse 36, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that this same Jesus whom you crucified is both Lord and Christ. And when they heard that, they were cut to the heart and they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And so Peter, he says, repent. and Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for this promise is to you and to your children and those who are far off as many as the Lord our God shall call. Finally, the conclusion of that momentous occasion there is a reflection on it in verse 47. And it says that all those people who were saved, that is those who heard the word that had been directed to them by God, directing them to Jesus, those who heard that word, who believed it, who repented, confessed, were baptized, all of those people being saved, it says that those saved ones were added to 
the church. And then those who are in the church, as we saw earlier, were to remain faithful. We saw the provisions of that in 2 Peter 1, didn't we? But just take this simple statement from Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Be faithful until death and you will receive the crown of life. That little tag-on statement in verse 17 of Romans 1, I think is significant. We learned what the gospel was. But he says that in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. The righteousness of God, the, the righteousness or the rightness or the goodness of God. So let me just say it this way. Knowing that God wants us up off of our face, out of despair and defeat, ought to tell us something about how good God really is. Now, when I was a kid growing up, there used to be this, it was kind of a response thing. I did this at Mayward Bible Camp, and it was successful. I hope it'll be successful today. Used to be a person like me would say, God is good, and then the audience would respond all the time. And then the presenter would say, all the time, and then everybody would say, God is good. Can we try that? God is good. All the time. Isn't that great? God is good. All the time. God is good. But do you know why God is so good? God is so good because he sees us defeated in our sin. Overwhelmed, not knowing what to do about it. And instead of turning his back on us and walking away, which he has every right to do, instead, he lifts us up. You know that when men were as vile as they could possibly be, I'm not talking about a world like Sodom and Gomorrah where on the outside there's a lot of righteous people. We got all the sinful people contained in one city right there, or two cities, great. Burn them up. <laughs> Jesus died with no disciples still supporting him. Jesus died with the Father having turned his back on him. Jesus died alone on that cross dying for the sins of all mankind, everybody, not just those who had a hand in it, but those of us who are guilty because of our sin. And when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God is... He is so good. Here's what he's telling you to do. Get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? If you are a child of God and you are hiding some sin, hoping that it won't be discovered, feeling guilty, even as you walk into worship God, you feel the hindrance of sin dragging you down. You just can't fly right as a Christian because you still got baggage. You have, as it were, your face down on the ground just moping about. Don't do that. Get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? And if you're not a child of God today, 
You are in sin, and that sin will separate you from God for an eternity. And until you deal with that sin, nothing is going to change about that. You will be lost. Today, what you need to do is get up. Get up off of your face and obey the gospel. Is there anybody who needs to respond today? Do it now. Get up while we stand together and sing.
Before we partake of the Lord's Supper, we'll sing number 337. Think upon the death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I want us to take a moment to think about him as our perfect sacrifice. In the seventh chapter of the book of Hebrews, we have Jesus being described as being of the order of Melchizedek, that is, his priesthood not being established upon lineage. But let us notice what is said concerning him in the 26th verse. For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins, and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. In verse 26, we have a summation of the nature of Jesus' character and why 
He was and is the perfect sacrifice. So as we get ready to partake, we have the ushers here, and if there is anyone who needs the emblems, that will be provided for you at this time. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come and we thank you so much for all of your many blessings, but the greatest of all, sending your Son, Jesus, to this earth in human form, to be perfect, to be sinless, to be that perfect one-time sacrifice that we may have the promise of the forgiveness of sins and the hope of eternal life. As we prepare to partake of these emblems, may we do so in a worthy and pleasing manner, and may we always remember all blessings that we have in him. And it is for this we ask, and in Christ's name, amen. And likewise, in the book of Hebrews, in the 13th chapter concerning Jesus, he says in verses 12 and 13, Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach, referring to Jesus being crucified outside of the city of Jerusalem, just as the animal sacrifices of the Mosaic system were likewise burned outside of the confines of the camp. So as we partake of this emblem representing his blood, may we likewise remember this. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we once more come unto you, thanking you for all blessings, especially sending Jesus into this world and for him being willing to shed his own blood for us so that again we may have the forgiveness of sins. And as we partake of this, again, may we do so worthily and may we do it in a reverent manner, and that we will always keep our eyes upon you. And for this we ask, in Christ's name, amen. Additionally, we, in addition, rather I should say, to our 
great and tremendous spiritual blessings. We also have our material or physical blessings, and one of those is our financial resources, and we can see all throughout the scriptures, Old and New Testament alike, that offerings to God were to be of a sacrificial nature. They were to be free will, free of compulsion. And so to make that even more expedient, several different options have been made available to us, and I encourage you to do so in the way that is of most benefit uh, to you, and however you may choose to do that, let us again go to our Father in prayer. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we again come thanking you for all things. We, in like manner, thank you for the material blessings that you have given us, and we thank you for each and every one that gives so freely and generously, and we're thankful that because of that, that we are able to assist in numerous works that have the purpose of spreading your word throughout not only our own community, but throughout the world as well. And again, we just ask you to be with our elders as they from time to time make determination on how these funds are to be dispersed and that they will do so in a wise manner and that all things that we do be done into your glory. And for this we ask, and in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. If you are visiting at the Boonville Church of Christ, we're glad you're here. We hope you come back at any opportunity you may have. We had 300 this morning. The area-wide youth devotional is tonight at Ripley. Teens, you will leave from the TAC at 4.15. 4.15 this afternoon, you should return around 7.30. I have a card, Boonville Church of Christ. Thank you all for your prayers lifted up for us during surgery and recovery. We are all so thankful and blessed to have wonderful friends to love us. And this is from Steve and Cheryl Morgan. That's all the announcements I have. If you will stand, I'll lead us in a closing prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this time you give us to come and study more about thy word. We pray that all of us get up and defeat sin. We pray for the sick of our number, for the ones that shut in, we pray for all that w is our duty to pray for. Thank you so much for your son 
that has came to this earth and give us a way of salvation. All of this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.